today. Uh, anyone who needs one, and uh, this is extremely valuable because it has my sloppy notes on it. So I'm, I'm sure it will be something you'll want to preserve. Amen. Just kidding. <laughs> Oh, well, I know. My, my writing's not the best. Anyone else? Luke, would you like to? Oh, Luke, do you have a copy? I'm honored by my grandson, my one and only grandson being in class. So I thought it'd be good to embarrass him. How many of you were in first assembly? Uh, Randy Gill's, okay, this is a test. Randy Gill's father's nickname was that took me back many years. That was my nickname <laughs> in high school as I played basketball at Coffee High School. But not everybody called me Flash. As my recollection is, it was my lone cousin sitting in the stands in derision. <laughs> I remember that to this day. I could hear as we're warming up, Flash! Hey, Flash! <laughs> and it was Steve Abston from Florence, Alabama, calling me Flash. So I don't know. I could identify with what Randy was talking about. Uh, we have a few people that are in here for the first time, some who have uh, missed a session or two. So I want to put everything in context, and then I think we can move uh, rapidly through this. We're going to do some reading of this text today because it's, uh, it's fairly short. Jim, you're going to be my designated reader. You did not know that until just now. But when we get to the letter that uh, Pliny wrote to Trajan and then Trajan's response, you're going to be our official reader. As I put the words up here on the screen, then we will respond to that. You can read directly off that page uh, in just a few minutes. Um, we're studying in here early, the writings of early Christian writers. Christian for the most part, no sooner do I say that, but I say today is an exception, and it's the only exception. These two people we're reading today are not Christians. They are writing about the Christians that they have encountered in the early part of the second century. The list over here to my left is uh, the proposed schedule. These are the writings we're looking at, and everything that we're going to look at for the next several weeks, all of these are from the second century. These are going to be from, well, I say second century. Some could be from the late part of the first century. So they could be from the 90s all the way up to, say, 200 of the Christian era. Uh, they're not all apostolic fathers. We've made that differentiation in class. The apostolic fathers is a specific named collection of early writings, and the list of the official list of apostolic fathers is the one that's on the far right over there. Most of the ones that we're studying will be from the apostolic fathers, but we're we're naming this class Early Christian Writings because not all of them are officially of the uh, Apostolic Fathers. 
These are the ones that we plan to study. Today, we're looking at Emperor Trajan and Governor Pliny, or Pliny. Uh, his um, name was actually Plinius Secundus, I think. So uh, Pliny is a nickname, and uh, it could be pronounced Pliny or Pliny, but it was a nickname. And we'll probably look to, there was a Pliny or Pliny the Elder, and there was a Pliny or Pliny the Younger. This is Pliny the Younger. Uh, we have looked at First Clement. Leland led us through that a couple of weeks ago. This is one of the bishops of Rome, probably the third removed from, uh, from Peter or from Paul in Rome. He wrote to the church in Corinth. Now, this is obviously not in our New Testament canon, but I believe it can be successfully argued that Clement claimed to be inspired, he claimed to be writing an inspired document, and he was writing to the church in Corinth. It was really Clement, as a leader in the church in Rome, writing to the church in Corinth, and the church in Corinth had had an internal rebellion of sorts. I guess a rebellion is, inter is internal, but he had, they had a rebellion. There were people in the church in Corinth that were trying to depose the elders of that church in Corinth. Now, we're talking about something that was taking place in right around the turn of the 1st to the 2nd century, so extremely early. That's what 1st Clement is about, trying to help the church in Corinth settle some of its internal affairs. Last week, we then looked at the Didache. The Didache is an unusual-sounding name given to a document, but it's simply a transliterated Greek word that means teaching. So we could, in our vernacular, simply have called the document we looked at last week the teaching of the 12 apostles, because that's what it was. It was an early, it looks like an earlier church manual. The first several chapters say, now, as Christians living in this world in which you live, here are some things you should do, here are some things you should not do. And then it gives instructions specifically about baptism, about the Lord's Supper, and about how to treat traveling preachers. So uh, it goes into that kind of detail. Today, Emperor Trajan and Governor Pliny. You could see that Trajan is listed right here. Considered historically as one of the good five emperors, this period right here, which composes most of the second century, these were guys that... Uh, effectively led and administered and spread the Roman Empire. I have read, and I can only go on what I've read, that tr during Trajan's reign, and we're going to look at one of his correspondences in just a minute, that during Trajan's reign, the Roman Empire reached its maximum limit, and Trajan was greatly instrumental in building the roads, establishing the peace, that we hear about the Roman Empire. Okay, so here we go. Uh, Pliny's writings are collected into about 10 volumes of writings. He wrote about a lot of things. Most of it had to do with administrative issues that were raised in uh, the provinces that he oversaw. Letters 96 and 97 
are the letters that we will look at today. 96 is Pliny writing to Trajan and said, I've encountered these people called Christians. I'm not really sure how to deal with them. I need some advice from you. That's what we're going to be uh, reading, and then we'll read Trajan's response. Probably written, now don't y'all, I know some of you don't care about history. Isn't this fascinating to think that we're going to be able to read and emperors, Luke, doesn't that fascinate you? To think, <laughs> to think that we're going to be able to read an emperor's letter today, and a letter that was written to him. Very fascinating. Uh, around 112, the fall of 112 CE of the Christian era. Pliny, as best I can tell, became governor in about 111. I think he died in 113. So you can pretty carefully determine where the dating of those are. Okay, come on. Now this map is not as good as uh, the one that uh, Leland, I think you put up the other day, but it was the best I could do. Somebody even asked me, where is Bithynia? And that's, I thought it was good for you to get an idea of where these guys were located. Over here in Rome, that's where Trajan is. Can you see this well enough to see that Bithynia and Pontus is, are these provinces, Northern Asia Minor, that's what it was called then, this is Turkey today. This is the Black Sea here. Istanbul or Constantinople is located right along here through this uh, through this channel that goes into the Black Sea. Uh, Corinth is over here. You see where some of the other locations are. Uh, Leland pointed these out previously. Alexandria, Carthage, these were major uh, cities where Christianity grew and spread. But this correspondence we're seeing here is Pliny over here in these northern provinces. This is where he is. Trajan is over there. So that uh, helps maybe get a little bit of a view. Here we go. Uh, I just think it's, it's good to make sure that you know where these translations come from uh, because sometimes questions can come up about that. This tells you where I located the English translation here. I did use, and I'm going to read some from this special resource in today's class, and this is... Um, an article in a book, uh, this article by uh, Robert Lewis Wilkin is, uh, oh, just a 21-page article within a book that I found very helpful in understanding the background of Pliny and Trajan, and hopefully I'll have time to read some from it. And uh, about these writings that we're going to look at today, perhaps, and this is a statement made by uh, the people that I cite here, that these documents are perhaps the most important non-Christian texts concerning Christianity during the first two centuries of the existence of Christianity. So these two are considered by many scholars to be some of the most important non-Christian documents about our ancestors. Now, I want to read, I'm going to read this part, Jim. We'll get to your part in just a minute. Uh, some of you may have the text of 1 Peter. I want you to hear what is said in 1 Peter in the Bible, and then as we read together 
<clears throat> and as we talk about these two letters, try to keep in mind what we hear in the Bible about those two provinces and about what Peter wrote to those two provinces. Um, I'm going to be reading from these in case you want to follow along. 1 Peter 1, this is uh, verses 1 and 6. Listen. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles of the dispersion. Now here is our apostle Peter writing to a group of people in a document that's canonical. To the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. The Apostle Peter himself, if you accept his authorship, the Apostle Peter is writing to the Christians in the very area where these two people are corresponding. Uh, look at verse 6. <clears throat> Let's see. Where should I start this? Um, in this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have to suffer various trials. This is Peter writing to the Christians in the very place where Pliny is the governor. And he says, you're going through some trials right now. I know that. Rejoice that you, while you're having to suffer in these various trials. That may help us a little bit with the background of these letters that we read. Now, I think it needs to be said that there is some uncertainty about when Peter was written. Those of us in conservative circles and conservative scholars say that it was written by Peter, and so therefore it would have been written during his lifetime, near the end of his lifetime, which would have been, when would that have been? 60s? Yeah, somewhere in the 60s in there. Uh, there are other scholars who believe that the content indicates that this would have been at a later period. There are many scholars who would put the writing of 1 Peter very near the time that Trajan and Pliny were writing each other. Okay, let's see, what do I have next? Chapter 2, 13 through 17. Now this, just listen to this and just imagine then Pliny and Trajan in the background. For the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution. Peter, writing to the Christians, northern Turkey. For the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution, whether of the emperor as supreme, or of governors, Pliny, or of governors, as sent by him to punish those who do wrong. And then he continues on. It's, it's fascinating to think that we're going to get a glimpse into some of the documents that may lie behind this very material we're reading in the New Testament. Uh, let's see, I'll cut that off at that point. Well, uh, no, I'm going to read further. It is God's will, this is Peter, it's God's will that by doing right, now this is going to really be helpful when you read well, we read from Pliny in a few minutes. I think you're going to see something that relates to this. It is God's will that by doing right, you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. 
As servants of God, live as free people, yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Honor everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. <laughs> That's Peter writing, if not to these very Christians that Pliny is talking about, to their immediate descendants. Uh, 4, 12 through 14. So see, we do study the Bible in this class. So don't ever go out and say they are not studying the Bible in this class. Uh, 4, 12 through 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings, so that you also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. If, now, I want you to hear this, and then try to remember this in relation to what we read in a few minutes. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory, which is the spirit of God, is resting on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, a criminal, or even as a mischief maker. Yet if any of you suffers as a Christian, do not consider it a disgrace, but glorify God because you bear his name. The last that I'll read from the Bible, 5, 8 through 13. Humble yourself, no, let's see, I want to go down further. Discipline yourselves, keep alert, like a roaring lion, your adversary the devil prowls around looking for someone to devour. Resist him, steadfast in your faith, for you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Through Silvanus, whom I consider a faithful brother, I have written this short letter. This is Peter now. I have written this short letter to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Your sister church in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. And so does my son, Mark. That's Peter writing from Rome, where Trajan later was, to Christians in northern Asia Minor, northern Turkey, either 30, 40 years before what we're about to read or quite close to the same time period. I, I really felt that was good background to what now we're about to read. All right, let's see. I think I maybe have another slide here. Oh, here are just some tidbits of information about Trajan and Pliny. I think the reason that these guys over here offered good, solid leadership to the Roman Empire is because of the method of succession. 
that was adopted in the Roman Empire. It wasn't uh, by usurpation, but it was by emperors adopting people that they wanted to follow them. Trajan was adopted by Nerva, and so Trajan then became ruler. And during this period, some of that same kind of successive uh, policy was in place. Uh, he built extensive network of roads and bridges and other public works. He was popular in his day, and even several hundred years later, Trajan was considered to be the model of the ideal emperor. So we're looking at, uh, at a pretty good guy here, at least as far as history is concerned. Pliny, often called the younger after his uncle who adopted him, who was also called Pliny. Plinius is more of the full name, so if you want to call him Pliny, that's okay. He's trained in rhetoric, loved language and literature. That's why he probably wrote so much and had so much of it saved. I'm going to read from uh, page three of the Wilkin. Now get this, just picture this. C and I are out walking as we often do in the quiet of the evening. And this reminds me so much of how our walks take place. Now this is a description of Pliny. By his own admission, his greatest pleasure came from discussing the literary qualities of speeches delivered by himself or his friends before the Senate, reading poetry to his wife in the evening, or spending long afternoons walking about the gardens of his villa, listening to Greek or Latin. <laughs> I, yeah. Listen, I'm not finished. <laughs> listening. Where am I? Fred, you threw me off. Oh. Spending long afternoons walking about the gardens of his villa, listening to Greek or Latin verse or prose. I just thought that was so nice. That's plenty. This is a man of letters. This is a man of writing, a man that was trained in, in rhetoric. A, fin, a friend of Tacitus. He was appointed governor in 111 an effective and cautious administrator. Most of Pliny, Pliny's writings to Trajan dealt with administrative matters. There was just one of these that dealt with Christians. He wrote 60 letters. Okay. Jim, we're about ready for you okay. now. Okay. Now, everybody, pay close attention. Let me see what time we got here. I hope I haven't taken a... Oh, maybe we're okay. All right. Does anybody need a copy of the text? Uh, uh, it will be right here. Now, the little notes at the top are obviously uh, my summation, which may or may not be accurate, my summation of each paragraph. Okay, Jim, take it away on, let's just do paragraph, the, this first, first paragraph right, right here. Yeah. It is my practice, my Lord, to refer to you all matters concerning which I am in doubt. For who can better give guidance to my hesitation or inform my ignorance? I've never participated in trials of Christians. I therefore do not know what offenses it is the practice to punish or investigate, and to what extent. And I've been not a little hesitant as to whether there should be any distinction on account of age or no difference between the very young and the, very, and the more mature whether pardon is to be granted for repentance or 
If a man has once been a Christian, it does him no good to have ceased to be one, whether the name itself, even without offenses, or only the offenses associated with the name are to be punished. Okay. Now that's the, the basic reason for his writing, but he does offer some specifics in there. He says, I've not really participated in trials, but then he goes on to describe what he's been doing, so I'm not sure exactly what he has in mind there. And he wants to know, should age make a difference? Let's say my 12-year-old Luke grandson, that's why he came into class, so I could use him as an example. So, uh, uh, Pliny is saying, does it make any difference if it's Luke at age 12 or his dad who's slightly older than that or his grandfather? Does may age make any difference in how we should respond to these people? And should we just go ahead and punish them because they wear the name Christian or should we only punish them if they do something wrong? Anybody have any other insight you want to offer on this first paragraph? Does it yeah, seem like there's, uh, so he says, I don't know what offenses practice punish and to what extent. Is he trying to draw a distinction between offenses for which Christians might be uh, prosecuted versus non-Christians for the same offense? It looks like he's, what do you think? Well, that's the way I read it, but I don't, yeah, it, I don't know what that You're talking about this lower, this last. No, I'm talking about the uh, second line. I've never participated in trials of Christians. Oh. Therefore, I don't know what offenses Okay. It's the practice to punish. Is he saying there's a class of offenses that might not be applicable to Christians versus non-Christians? I don't know. What do y'all think? The, the next section may offer a clue because Good question. He, he goes on to, to say that they're really not doing anything bad. Yeah. He does, and he even tortures <laughs> some slave girls to try to get some inside information, and he comes away with nothing. All right. Let's read on and see if, yeah. They're actually doing something really, really bad to the Romans. They're committing treason. Yeah, if they're disrupting society. No, they're, they're not. At this point in time, Trajan is a god. Yeah, he's and considered that. And to be a loyal Roman, you must sacrifice yes. to, the, to that is correct. the emperor. And so to do not to do that is treason. And that's why he executes. Right, but that's why Some he's really confused because they're really good people. I, know, I find it interesting that he discloses their quote-unquote behavior, which is... Right. I, I, I think that's why he's really, really confused because you've got... He goes, man, they're really, really good people. They don't kill. They don't they're not causing them. any real they trouble. They trouble. Mm -hmm. They just don't sacrifice... Good insight. To, good. And so he's, he's confused. All right. Now here... Yes, I'm sorry, John. But they're pulling people away from the temple. That was a real problem. We get that toward the yeah, end toward the of end. Pliny's letter. Right. We do get that toward the... Did y'all hear what John said? That there is these Christians... Well, all right, we'll just get to it and read it in a minute. Okay, Jim, you're up next. Okay. Meanwhile, in the case of those who were denounced to me as Christians, I have observed the following procedure. I interrogated them as to whether they were Christians. Those who confessed, I interrogated a second and a third time, threatening them with punishment. Those who persisted, I ordered executed. 
for I had no doubt that whatever the nature of their creed, stubbornness and inflexibility, <laughs> obstinacy, surely deserved to be punished. There were others possessed of the same folly, but because they were Roman citizens, I signed an order for them to be transferred to Rome. Reminds you of, of Paul there at yep. the end. But what do you see in all that? What uh, interesting information, or is there any further insight that is provided from that? Didn't want to be stubborn and obstinate. Well, he said, you know, it's enough that they are stubborn and obstinate to go ahead and punish them. Doesn't he say that? They're just, the fact that they're not cooperating, and maybe it goes back to what you were, you were talking about, that um, they're just not cooperating with us. They're not doing what they should do in, in deference to the, to the emperor. So they're just a bunch of stubborn people, uh, and that should be enough to punish them. At least that's his thinking. Uh, let's see, where does he say? It is pretty hmm. impressive, though, Jerry. He gives them three times. Well, maybe that goes back to, I don't forgotten who it was saying, that said it, that uh, they're, Fred, maybe it was you, they are pretty good people, I mean, I'm going to give them a chance, although it goes back to the fact that when it comes down to the fact they're not willing to honor the emperor, then that's case enough to, look at this, I ordered, executed. <coughs> now, these are our ancestors, guys, our ancestors all the way back to near the time that this whole thing called Christianity began, faced execution for claiming to be, or for being Christian. John? These people are no scholars, so they were not citizens. Some were. Well, no, they, they weren't executed if they were citizens. They correct. Were that is correct. So the ones he's talking about, if you're in the middle part, they have no status. They That's may right. be slaves or... or That's right. Whatever, so it, it's, a, Correct. it's a status thing, and there'll be no, no, no penalty for killing them. I mean, it's, just, it's just the right property, thing. It's just the right thing to do. Notice he calls this uh, folly. He calls it a folly. All right, let's go. Now, uh, here are some Christian reactions. Jim, sorry, but you're up. No, that's fine. Soon accusations spread, as usually happens because of the proceedings going on and several incidents occurred. An anonymous document was published containing the names of many persons, those who denied that they were or had been Christians, when they invoked, when they, uh, invoked the gods and words dictated by me, ordered prayer, offered prayer, with incense and wine to your image, which I had ordered to be brought for this purpose together with statues of the gods, and moreover, cursed Christ, none of which those who are really Christians, it is said, can be forced to do. These, I thought, should be discharged. Others, named by the informer, declared that they were Christians, but then denied it, asserting that they had been, uh, that they had been, but had ceased to be some three years before. Others, many years, some of which as 25, as much as 25 years. They all worshipped your image and the statutes of the God and cursed Christ. This idea of an anonymous document is going to come up again toward the end of the writing. Uh, do you get the impression from this that there were quite a few Christians they acquiesced? Yeah. 
It looked like they, that quite a few did, or at least that's the way Pliny presents it. You know, you can't always be sure that these guys are presenting it in an exactly accurate way, but that's certainly the way he presents it. Um, and he did, he did want them to offer prayer and incense to the image of Trajan, uh, which he had ordered to be brought for this very purpose. And uh, he gives at least one shout out to the Christians and says that really, you know what I'm asking these people to do, if they really were Christian, you know, what we're hearing is that they wouldn't acquiesce if they really were. Yeah, Fred. Uh, just curious, um, I guess one thing that struck me is they never referred to Jesus as Jesus, but as the Christ. How's that? Well, I don't know. That that may have some significance. Uh, he's maybe simply if, if they, giving. If, if culture felt like Jesus was just a man, you would think they would call him by his name. Probably the terminology that was most it's commonly used by them, and maybe it gives deference to the Jewish origin of Christianity or the ground out of which Christianity came. I don't know. Does anybody have any better insight, Jason? Well, I don't think, I don't know that you, these Roman guys, we look back on it now and go, why didn't they know? Well, they, they probably weren't that familiar with, I mean, he refers to Christian beliefs as this weird superstition. Yeah. They eat food that doesn't yes. like weird food. It's just right. bread and stuff. Like, well, you know, it's, they're, they're not really in on the ins and outs, really all he's concerned with is why are these people, because of their weird superstition, not going to the temples that honor the emperor Trajan? Why aren't they sacrificing to him anymore? What is going on? And start doing that, people, or I'm going to kill you. Or I'm gonna, you know, like that's basically. And how should I re how should I treat these people if they yeah. don't cooperate? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to me, there's almost, you know, when I read through this area, and I hadn't studied it earlier, but he says that he took Trajan's image and put in with the gods. Now, based on what you had read earlier, where they are to give honor to yeah. the emperor yeah. and to the governor, is it that there were other gods that they were supposed to be offering prayer and incense to? that created the problem, or that they were not worshiping Trajan, or praising Trajan that is causing the problem, or both? I would opt more toward they weren't giving, they were honoring Trajan in the sense that they recognized him as their emperor and leader, but that they were not giving him the true homage as a god that he deserved, but that's just my. Is there, do you think that's what they were asking, that Trajan be viewed as a god, I, or that he I think so. be praised along with... Well, there, were, there was, a, I guess, a hierarchy of gods then, but the emperor was considered to be of the gods and deserved that, uh, that recognition. So when Peter says then to honor the honor emperor, them, what does that mean? That you be a good citizen within his kingdom and within his physical empire. That's what I would take it to mean. Yeah, some, it seems to me, because I keep thinking back to Pilate, 
in Jesus kind of as a parallel to this because you see kind of the same frustration. Pilate talking to Jesus and thinking, this guy's not a bad guy. Why are we mm-hmm. doing this? Mm-hmm. Say what you, <clears throat> just go through the motions and say what you need to say so I can let you off the hook because I really want to do this. And you kind of get that sense from, from Pliny. And, yeah. you know, Jesus had people in his entourage that, that thought that his movement was about rebelling against Rome and he made it really clear. Yeah. Peter does the same thing. You know, put these guys in a tough spot. Let them, and that's and they kept getting these governors were in a tough spot. It's like you know, they're having these secret meetings and rituals and everything. Then we go yeah. check it out, and it's there's nothing to it. Do I really need to keep doing this? And it because they want to make it clear this is it's something different than what these guys should be worried about. And and I think that that gives some some credence to something that somebody else said that uh, that they were in a tough spot because they felt that. Uh, that these were okay people, they really weren't doing anything to undermine the government. Uh, let's read a little bit more. Is it about that time? Yeah, okay, go ahead. I'm read this paragraph. Yeah. They asserted, uh, however, that the sum and substance of their fault or error had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God and to bind themselves by oath, not to some crime, but not to commit fraud, theft, or adultery, not falsify their trust, nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. When this was over, it was their custom to depart and to assemble again to to partake of food, but ordinary and innocent food. Even this, they affirmed, they had ceased to do after my edict, by which I in accordance with instructions, I had forbidden political associations. Accordingly, I judged it all the more necessary to find out what the truth was by torturing two female slaves who were called deaconesses. But I discovered nothing else but depraved, excessive superstition. Right here when he talks about forbidden political associations, um, they had talked in a previous communication about trying to set up a fire department. Now, I know that sounds like a very mundane thing, but Pliny and uh, Trajan were talking about setting up a fire department. And uh, Trajan responded and said, you know, that sounds like a pretty innocent thing to do, getting a, a group of firemen together to put out fires. But he said, you know, we've got to be careful about any of these little groups that, that come together because as soon as you get these little groups meeting together, you can have all kinds of insurrections that might arise. And that's what he's referring to when he says forbidden political associations. And they looked upon Christians in somewhat that same way. Uh, Deaconesses, we don't have time to get into that. Uh, Jim, quickly, right here. And if you have to go, I understand. I therefore postponed the investigation and hastened to consult you, for the matter seemed to me to warrant consulting you, especially because of the number involved. For many persons of every age, every rank, and also of both sexes, are and will be in danger. From the contagion of this superstition has spread not only to the cities, but also to the villages and farms. But it seems possible to check and to cure it. It is certainly quite clear that the temples, which have been almost deserted, have begun to be frequented, that the established religious rites long neglected are being resumed, and that from everywhere sacrificial animals are coming for which they until now, well, 
for which until now very few purchasers could be found. Hence it is to imagine what a multitude of people can be reformed if an opportunity for repentance is afforded. See, I, that's why I call that, I think that uh, Pliny thinks he's winning yeah. Uh, yeah. in this. Yeah. Now, this is Trajan to Pliny. Let's do that quickly, Jim. Okay. Sorry. Trajan, this is Trajan's called rescript or his response. You observed proper procedure, my dear Pliny, in sifting the cases of these who had been denounced to you as Christians, for it's not possible to lay down any general rule to serve as a kind of fixed standard. They are not to be sought out. If they are denounced and proved guilty, they are to be punished. For this reservation that whoever denounces, whoever denies that he is a Christian and really proves it, that is, by worshiping our gods, even though he was under suspicion in the past, shall obtain pardon through repentance. But anonymously posted accusations ought to have no place in any prosecution. For this is both a dangerous kind of precedent and out of keeping with the spirit of our age. Thank you. I appreciate you doing that. They anonymous, non-signed accusations were not to be accepted. I mean, that's to their credit. They don't, you, you just couldn't say... John Lee, I know he's I know he's a Christian. Well, and but I, you know, I don't sign uh, or declare that I'm vouching for that conclusion. Uh, so really, he thinks things are uh, that he thinks Pliny is handling it pretty well. Um, I'll end with this. I felt I felt like you know we have to have something. You can have your own thing that you learn from this and hang on to as to what it might help you, how it might help you today. And this may not represent your thinking at all, but here's what I wrote as to what I glean from this. This is an early example, among the first of many examples, of our ancestors in the faith having to choose whether to confess their faith and be killed or deny their faith and live. Some denied, some confessed, and suffered the consequences. So what does this say to me? I want to take my faith more seriously today, and therefore seriously consider how today I answer the challenge to confess and honor my faith in Jesus as the risen Christ and Lord. We have different challenges, but perhaps the same general challenge. How today do I answer the challenge, do you answer the challenge, to confess and honor your faith in Jesus as the risen Christ and Lord? All right, next week is... Ignatius' letter to the Ephesians. And we will be... Leland has copies for next week. Very nice single-fold copy of the text and study guide. And we will also send this out to you by email. Oh, there are ten. Yes, thank you, Jim. And I know I caught you off guard, but you always are going to do a great job, so thank you.